Children are dismissed to junior church at this time, so you make your way out to junior church, and I invite everybody else to turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 12, Genesis 12 in your Bibles, and if you do not have a Bible, turn in the Pew Bible to Genesis chapter 12, and I'm going to tell you the page number to make it even easier. Genesis is the very first book of the Bible, and uh, if you don't know that, that's okay. Don't feel any shame in that, but in Genesis chapter 12, certainly in the very beginning, I'm even having trouble getting there, it's on page... Eight in your pew Bible. Can't guarantee that if you have another Bible, it's on page eight, but page eight in your pew Bible. And if you're scrolling on your phone, you can find it on your phone as well. And I can almost guarantee there's no page number on your phone, but that's okay. Just turn to the chapter, um, Genesis chapter 12, please, as we begin this. I heard a good illustration from a guy I love to read and love to listen to, Chuck Swindoll. And that will help us think about faith and think about trusting the Lord as we go into this sermon. He writes, generosity is not as much an overflow of wealth as it is an overabundance of faith. Stinginess, on the other hand, is a sure sign that a person trusts things instead of God. And make no mistake, we serve what we trust. Think about that. We serve what we trust, things God. Swindoll shares his story. He says, my older, this is his older, older brother Orville was never a wealthy man, but he was wonderfully generous with what he had. He never never held back from the Lord, and that is still true. It was this overabundance of faith that led him to be a missionary for more than 30 years, three decades, in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Just before that, he had done some short-term mission work in Mexico. And he had come north to gather his wife, Irma Jean, and the kids for the long trip into the far reaches of South America. Before leaving, Orville and his family stopped off for a quick visit with our parents in Houston. Now, this is Chuck Swindoll's older brother, Orville, and his family stopping by his parents' house in Houston. I think this is the early 1950s, okay? Because I don't think Chuck Swindoll was a pastor yet. And uh, this is his older brother about to go on the mission field. Now listen. Swindoll says, now you have to appreciate the kind of man my father was. Look up, look up the word responsible in the dictionary and his picture is there. To him, risks are for those who fail to plan. Responsible people live not, leave nothing to chance. As far as he was concerned, faith is something you exercise when your three backup plans fall through and you've run out of other options. Swindoll continues, my father was a believer, but he never understood the life of faith. Not really. My brother, on the other hand, was stimulated by faith. He has lived his entire adult life on the raw edge of faith. To him, life doesn't get exciting until until God and God alone can get us through some specific challenge. That drove our dad nuts. Maybe you can identify with that. He says his brother Orville pulled up to the house in an old Chevy sedan on four of the slickest tires I'd ever seen. My father always inspected tires when we came to visit. I wondered how long it would take for him to say something. I'm sure Orville did too. Not very is the answer. 
After a great supper of good old collard greens and cornbread, onions and red beans, my mother and sister went into the kitchen, leaving my father at one end of the table, Orville at the other, and me sitting on one side. Then it started. Son, how much money do you have for your long trip? Oh, Dad, don't worry about it. We're going to be fine. Before he could change the subject, my father pressed the issue. Answer me. How much money do you have in your wallet? Orville smiled and shrugged as he said, I don't have any in my wallet. Chuck says, I sat silent watching this verbal tennis match. Nothing in your wallet. How much money do you have? You're getting ready to go down to South America. How much money you got? With that, my brother smiled, dug into his pocket, pulled out a quarter, Set on its edge on his end of the table, then gave it a, thump, a careful thump, and it slowly rolled past me all the way to my father's end of the table and fell into his hand. Dad said, a quarter, that's all you've got? Orville broke into an even bigger smile and said, yeah, isn't that exciting? That was not the word my father had in mind. After a heavy sigh and a very brief pause, Dad shook his head and said, Orville, I just don't understand you. My brother grew more serious. Looking Dad in the eyes, he answered without blinking, No, Dad, you never have. Chuck Swindoll concludes his story, writing, I don't know how he actually made the trip to their destination or how he and Irma Jean took care of all their little kids, but they never went hungry. And they served in Venus eras and traveled to other parts of the world for more than three decades. My father was a man who emerged through the Great Depression, lived, his, lived in fear of poverty his whole life, seldom took a risk, and never experienced the joy of trusting God that made my father, my, that made my brother smile so big that day. He never experienced the joy of trusting God that made his brother smile so big that day. Jesus never said that having nice things is wrong. By his sovereign choice, he may ordain some to be as poor as himself and his disciples. Yet he may want others to have an overabundance of money and material goods so that they might give an abundance. His chief concern is not the issue of wealth. He cares about us and where we turn for security. Whether or not we own nice things, God wants to be sure that they don't own us. Whether or not we own nice things, God wants to be sure that they don't own us. Generosity is not only a sure sign of faith. It's also a surefire way to stimulate it. As soon as something begins to feel just a little too crucial to our happiness or safety, it's time to show it who's boss by giving it away. That faith that Swindoll's brother Orville had, that's a faith that Abraham had. Abram is for sure the father of faith, and so today we wrap up our sermon series on Genesis chapters 1 through 11 as foundational to our faith. And my theme today is Abram had faith, following God, unknowing where God was leading him. Abram had faith, following God, unknowing where God was leading him. So let's follow Abram's example having faith in God with our future. 
As I wrap up this series, just a plug, starting next week, I'm going to begin preaching on dealing with difficult times. And I'm going to start dealing with the rich man and the, I'm sorry, not the rich man, on the tax collector and the Pharisee in Luke 18. And then in two weeks, uh, the Northeast Ohio Director of Celebrate Recovery is going to be giving a very, very, very powerful message. You don't want to miss that. And then in three weeks, I'm going to begin, why do the innocent suffer? And looking at Luke 13, what, how do we handle the death of the innocent, the death of children? And we'll continue with that series. But today I want to wrap up this series and talk about faith and talk about Abraham as the father of faith. The rest of the Bible is about Abraham's descendants. I want to go there first. The rest of the Bible is about Abraham's descendants. If you are here today and you are a Christian, you've been blessed by Abraham. If you are here today or watching online, I guess I could say too, and you are a believer in Christ, you've committed to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, you are blessed by Abraham and you are a child of Abraham. Because Christians, Galatians gets into this, Galatians 4, Christians are grafted into the promises of God to Israel. This passage is Genesis 12. You may or may not realize it, but we are only a couple thousand years into history in this passage. In Genesis chapters 1 through 3, we have the creation of Adam and Eve. Everything is created good. Adam and Eve are in paradise. Then sin entered the world in Genesis 3. Beginning in Genesis 4, we have Cain and Abel. And, we have the dis- and, and, and at that point, we have the descendants of Adam and Eve listed. Cain sins by killing his brother Abel. And as we see the descendants listed, we see sin multiplied. We see more murder. We see polygamy. We see idolatry. We see the effects of sin on a fallen world. And I think God inspiring Moses to write that is showing this is what happens when sin enters a perfect creation. And it gets worse, so much worse that in Genesis chapter 6 through 9, we have the flood narrative with Noah and his family. In Genesis 10, we have the table of nations. All of Noah's descendants multiply and they spread out. And in Genesis 11, we have the Tower of Babel. At the end of Genesis 11, we are introduced to Abraham. And he's Abraham at that point, not Abraham yet. Abraham's father begins moving the family from Ur to the land of Canaan. And they stopped in Haran. And this brings us to Genesis 12. The rest of Genesis and the rest of the Old Testament will be about Abraham and his descendants. His descendants become the people of Israel. And that's why I've been emphasizing so much. Genesis chapters 1 through 11 are foundational to our faith. This is where we get the beginnings. This is where we receive the foundations for everything else in the rest of the Bible. This is where where we are introduced to Abraham. This is where we find out. How the world was created. This is how we find out how the world fell in sin. You know, if you study pretty much every people group, you find ancient traditions of a flood. It's here, right here in the Bible. Further, in the Bible, we see a why from the biblical worldview of a flood. And the other extra biblical accounts, the flood happens because the gods, plural, are angry with humanity. They're angry with humanity. And there's a fight and all this stuff happens and other things happen. It doesn't have to do with sin. It doesn't have to do with how corrupt humanity was getting. And the Bible corrects these 
ancient Near Eastern myths. The Bible straightens out the story. In the Bible, we see the purpose. In Genesis chapters 1 through 11, we see the purpose of man and woman. We see the idea of having children and, and multiplying the earth. We see so many things important for our faith. We see the people in the groups listed in Genesis chapters 1 through 11 show up in other parts of the Bible all the way through the New Testament, all the way through up until even the book of Jude. These are foundational to our faith. Last week we talked about how through the descendants of Noah, Shem, one of Noah's sons, leads to Abraham. Obviously, Abraham leads to Israel. Israel leads to the Messiah. The Messiah is Jesus. Jesus leads to us. Jesus came through the people of Israel. We are saved and grafted into the people of Israel. So let's look at Abram's call and obedience. Look at Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now, the Lord said to Abram, so the Lord is speaking to Abram. He says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I, this is God speaking, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is going back all the way to around 2000 B.C. And God is speaking to Abram. Abram becomes a family and then through his descendants, a large family, and then they become a tribal nation. And then God, through Moses, makes them more of a nation, more established, more organized, and so on and so forth. And then later comes the kings and especially David and Solomon, and they become a greater and bigger nation. And then eventually they sin, majorly, royally, fail to keep God's covenants, and eventually they're conquered. And then, and then they're brought back in between the Old and New Testaments. But God still preserves the people of Israel, and eventually God brings Jesus to the people of Israel. And eventually, even during that time in the first century, they were a nation but not a nation because they were under obedience of Rome. And then eventually in 70 AD and later in 120 AD, they are totally conquered. In 70 AD, the temple is destroyed even. And then there are people without a homeland. And then in 1948, they come back as a people group. And God says right here in Genesis 12, 3, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's why if we are here as a Christian, we're blessed through Abraham. We're blessed through the descendant, the one descendant of Abraham being Jesus. This is so foundational to the rest of our Bible and our life as Christians. So right here, we see the place, Ur of the Chaldeans. We see the promise in verses two through three. Abram will found a great nation and God will bless him. God will make his name great. By the way, when God makes Abram's name great, God is also going back, making Shem's name great. Name great. Shem is, a, is the actual son of Noah and it's through Shem's descendants that we get Abram. That's why all these chapters, all these verses are important. Those who bless Abram will be blessed. And those who curse him will be cursed. And we see that early on. Just a few chapters later in Genesis 14, Abram goes and rescues his brother Lot. Or actually his nephew, sorry, nephew Lot. Later on, we see the blessing develop through the people of Israel. 
And ultimately, the ultimate fulfillment is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, a descendant of Abraham. Although one could argue the ultimate fulfillment is still to come. The Lord calls Abram. He's called Abram right now, as I've said. Uh, later in Genesis 17, 4 through 6, he's renamed Abraham. And this is a promissory call. And, it's, and, and this call in Genesis 12 is the first recorded speech since God's word of judgment in Genesis 11, 5 through 6, which is a judgment against, um, against Babylon. Abram, Abram is called upon to leave both his past and his future, placing his trust in God. He's trusting God. That's why I open with that illustration of Chuck Swindoll's brother Orville, trusting God going on the mission field. And maybe God has called you to trust him in certain ways, giving more than you usually would or moving away or, or making a step in faith. And, and we'll come back to that. The many promises of the passage in, right here cohere into three strands. We see three strands of promise here in Genesis 12, land, seed, and blessing. Land, seed, and blessing. The divine oath is like an avalanche of blessing cascading in wave after wave on the patriarch, the father of our faith, Abram, and his children yet to come. He's going to bless him with land. He's going to bless him with, with descendants, even though he becomes an elderly man and he doesn't have children yet. In my Sunday school class, we're in Genesis 18. In Genesis 18, he's like 99 years old. And Sarah is about 90 years old. And God tells them about this time next year, you're going to have... A son. Hadn't happened yet. Later it's going to happen in Genesis 21. So we see the promises. Land, seed, and blessing. The Lord calls him to leave his country. The Lord calls him to leave his relatives and his father's household. And this is a big deal. Back then they needed their family and their friends to survive. They needed each other. And guess what? We need our family and friends now too. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we neglect that. But it's to our own peril. But they definitely knew. They needed their family and friends. And God says, trust me. I'm calling you on a journey. Now his father started the journey in Genesis 11. But God is calling Abram to finish that journey. By foot likely. Or maybe riding on a camel. But certainly not like we travel. It's a big deal. Verse 2, God says that he, the Lord, will make Abram's name great. God will make him a great nation. God will bless him. God will make his name great. Guess what? This was the failed aspiration of the tower builders in Genesis 11.4. In Genesis chapter 11, verse 4, the tower builders of the Tower of Babylon wanted to make their name great. Not God's name great, their name great. It failed. God intervened. But here, God is saying, I'm going to make the name of Abram great. But who's going to make it great? God's going to make it great. And this passage is proven true. Here we are talking about Abram today. We sing about Abram in children's classes. You know, I started to sing it last Sunday, but I spared you. Father Abram and many sons. Many sons had Father Abram, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right arm. You know, and you go like this and keep singing. Then you do the left arm and then the feet. You know, we sing about Abram. We still talk about him. Jesus came through the descendant of Abraham. All the Gentiles are saved through the seed of Abraham. God will bless Abram and also he will be a blessing. Abram was, blessed, was a blessing through his descendants. We wouldn't have an Israel without Abraham. We wouldn't have Israel. We'd never had Israel. We wouldn't have a Messiah without Abram. Sure, I'm sure God could have developed another plan. But God's plan was to come through the line of Abraham. 
Verse three, those who bless Abram will be blessed, but those who curse him will be cursed. Again, all the families of the earth will be blessed through Abram. And this has been true for all of us. I'll do some review and make some applications. Genesis chapters one through 12 are foundational for the rest of the Bible. These people show up throughout the rest of the scriptures. Through Abram, we are blessed. Abram literally changes history. We must be responsive to the Lord as Abram was. He obeyed what the Lord had told him to do. In Genesis 12, verse four, the next verse, Abram obeyed the Lord and he continued to obey the Lord. Are we obedient to the Lord? Now you might say, well, the Lord doesn't speak to me like that. What, do you read your Bible? Anytime we read the scriptures, the Lord is speaking to us. Do you meet with your church family? God can speak through, through, through uh, messages, through your church family, through praying together, meeting with prayer partners, accountability partners, small groups, Sunday school classes, corporate worship. But we know for sure he speaks through the Bible. No Bible, no breakfast. We need the Bible. We need the word of God speaking into our life every single day. We need it like food every single day. And we also need corporate church. We need, we need the, the, the corporate spiritual disciplines of community worship, of, of midweek Bible study, of youth and children's ministries and small groups and prayer partners. We need that to grow as a Christian. God speaks that way. Are you obedient? Are we obedient to what the Lord says? Now, oftentimes we, we read the scriptures and we pick and choose. I'm going to obey this part, but not this part. Or we think, this doesn't apply to today. And we start saying things like, you know, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation speaks to the sanctity of marriage, but I believe, given my age and predicament in life, or maybe my financial situation, it just makes sense that it's okay for me and my girlfriend, boyfriend, to cohabitate outside wedlock. And I'd ask, who is your spiritual advisor? Is it Hugh Hefner? I mean, he's dead now, but he'd be a good one to go to if you want to compromise the scripture, right? The Bible speaks very clear from Genesis to Revelation that marriage is so sacred, so sacred. And that's why in the sexual relationship is so sacred. That's why it belongs to the covenant of marriage. And we are not to tamper with the scriptures. God speaks to us through his word. Or maybe we tamper with it in other ways. Or we think... We can mess with it as long as we're cohabitating with the person we're eventually going to marry. And I've seen it many times when they don't get married, by the way. And we know um, through science, real science, uh, like real, real you know, studies, psychological studies, how much that hurts the woman and the man when you're in a sexual relationship and you float around and break up and all that stuff. We know that for sure. For example, we also know that monkeypox is mostly spread uh, through homosexual activity. 90% of the cases are spread through homosexual activity. Most of the time with multiple partners, we see time and time again that God's way is best, our way is not. And we start to compromise one way, at least to compromising many, many other ways. God does speak through his word. John Piper once wrote a really good article on Desiring God. He said, God spoke to me this morning. It was 6 a.m. and I was spending time with him. And God spoke to me. And he shared what God spoke to him. And as he wrote, he went on to say, I know God spoke to me because it was right there in the scriptures. And he gave the verse and the chapter where God spoke to him. 
we need to be in the word of God. We need to, we need to be in the word of God so much that when, we, when we're pricked, we bleed Bible. <laughs> we bleed Bibeline. I think that goes to Spurgeon in the 1800s. We need to meditate on the word of God, ruminate on the word of God, soak ourselves like a sponge with the word of God. We need to be in the word of God and then we can know what God is sharing for us and to us and we can obey as Abram obeyed. God spoke to Abram and he obeyed. Abram didn't always obey. Actually, that's a proof of the scriptures. The scriptures are very clear about uh, the people in the Old and New Testament when they disobeyed. Read about David in, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 12. The Bible doesn't cover up those things. As Charles Stanley said, men would not write the Bible because it shows us how bad we are. Read the Bible. And read the Bible prayerfully. Pray as you read the Bible. And read the Bible in community. Or in organic relationships with the body of Christ. We need that. And worship, too. We must trust the Lord as Abram did. Abram left his family, his network, his community to trust the Lord. Sometimes the, Lord will, the Lord's will may not make sense, but we must trust him. Most of the time it will make sense, though. Most of the time it fits. It fits a little bit with our gifting. Most likely God is not gonna call me to be a drummer. I can't keep beat. If you see, I do not clap up front because I can't clap and beat, okay? So that's a case where God's will would make sense. If, if God called me to be a drummer, I would have to second guess it and then eventually say, okay, it's gonna be by the Holy Spirit. God's not gonna call me most likely to be a carpenter. I don't do that stuff very well, okay? Most of the time, but God might call you to. You might be really good with carpentry and cutting and working with your hands and God may say, while you're reading the scriptures and while you're praying, hey, I want you to help on this mission trip. God's calling you to use your gifts, the gifts he's given you. Sometimes it won't make sense, but we gotta trust him. Leaving your family and friends on a mission uh, may not make sense. You gotta trust him. We must trust him with our home. We must trust him with our money. Oh my gosh. Trust him with our money? I know a pastor, knew a pastor in Cincinnati. He preached on money like one time a year and a guy who was very wealthy walked out of the service said, I don't come to church to hear about money. Now, I'm glad that wasn't me because usually, and some of you know this by now, walking out is not the best time to comment negatively on something the pastor says. It's just not. I would have said, Jesus talked about money. We're going to talk about money. The Bible talks about money a lot, a whole lot. You know what the Bible says in Psalm 50, I think, verse 12? God owns it all. He owns it all. He owns the cattle of a thousand hills. It's not your money. It's God's money. And it doesn't really even belong to the church. It belongs to God. Every single thing belongs to, the, to God right down to our very bodies. Everything belongs to God. Our free time is not our time. It's God's time. Our mind is not our mind. It's God's mind. And we're to be stewards, stewards of our bodies, of our minds, of our time, of our entertainment, of every single thing that God provides. And we have to trust him. Abram trusted the Lord. Abram was called by God out and he trusted the Lord. And we got to trust the Lord too. We must trust him with our home, with our money, with our family. My daughters aren't my daughters, they're God's daughters. They were theirs before they were mine. We have a stewardship under God to raise them and to watch over them spiritually more than anything else. And if they grow up and they're married to millionaires, but they don't have Christ, they have nothing. Now, a parent, a Christian parent can do everything right and a child can forsake the Lord. But many times we are not 
obeying the Lord, to be spiritual leaders in the home. Abraham and the Jewish people, go through the Old Testament, read through the Old Testament, read a chapter a day, and notice every time, circle it in your Bibles. I challenge you to do this. Circle every time it tells you to teach your children. God repeatedly tells them in the Bible, in the Old Testament, when your children ask, tell them this. When your children ask, tell them this. When your children ask, tell them this. When your children ask, tell them with a mighty hand and outstretched arm, the Lord led you out of, out of Egypt. When your children ask, read the Psalms and you'll see the Psalms say, when you instruct your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren, it's always about teaching children. And as I said last week, and I say it again, we will sin with our children. No, not in the acute very specific sins like smoking pot, though. I do know parents that do that stuff with their children. But in sins of omission, not doing what we're supposed to do, skipping church with our children, that is sinful. You need to repent of that unless you have a very good reason, like a hospital visit or maybe traveling or something like that. Not praying with our children, not being active in the spiritual disciplines. And I'm increasingly convicted as a soft role that when I meet with people who are not active in the church family, after a certain point, I need to say, you need to be active in the church. I can't meet with you because I'm not helping you. Not unlike if you're coming to Sunday school, coming to Wednesday Bible study, maybe you can't. That's a little different if you can't. If you're coming to that, then I can help. But if I'm meeting with you, but you're not involved in these other corporate spiritual disciplines that are critical, critical to the Christian growth. You will not grow spiritually without activity in God's word, in prayer, and in the spiritual activities with the church. You won't grow. You could say, well, God can do all things. Yes, and God had mandated this is the way you grow spiritually, by spending time with your church family. It's been a time in his word. It's been a time in prayer. That's like saying you're going to grow in your relationship with your spouse but never spend time with your spouse. Well, God can do all things. Okay, well, maybe if you're in the Navy, yeah, maybe God will work it out. But God calls us to spend time with our spouse. God calls us to spend time with him. You need to be in the church. You need to be active. That's how you hear from God. Trust the Lord. Okay, continuing applications. We must recognize the Lord is sovereign and in control as we see in this passage. In verse two, we see the Lord is the one who blesses Abram, makes his name great and makes him a great nation. In verse three, we see it is the Lord who blesses those who bless him and curses those who curse him. It is a Lord who blesses all the families of the earth through Abram. It's the Lord who does it. When we are blessed, we're blessed by the Lord. We must recognize the Lord gives blessings out of grace. As verse one shows, Abram did not do anything to earn this covenant. You know that? He didn't didn't earn it. Actually, if you go to Genesis 15, in Genesis 15, God doesn't act a covenant ritual to establish his covenant. In Genesis 15, guess who passes through the sacrifice? Only the Lord. Abram's asleep. And, and, And God has Abram cut the sacrifice in half and then God puts Abram out. Abram, God says sleep. He falls down, he sleeps. Maybe he fell down gently. He sleeps and God passes through the sacrifice. And that's showing that God is the one establishing this covenant. It's not earned by Abram. And that also means it's a perpetual ongoing covenant that still is in effect today. The Abrahamic covenant, this covenant with God, uh, God and Abraham and God and Israel is still in effect today. We must worship the Lord as we are all blessed through Abram's seed, Jesus. We read things like this, we gotta worship. We must be willing to trust God to lead us to uncharted territory as Abram was willing. Abram was willing, he obeyed. 
We must be willing to sacrifice income, time, talent, location to serve the Lord. We must be willing to move for the Lord. We must be willing to change occupations for the Lord. We must be willing to prayerfully consider mission trips, local or foreign. This may be uncharted territory. We must be willing to serve somewhere new in the community, hospice, nursing home ministry. We must be willing to talk to someone about Jesus. This is uncharted territory in many ways. Share the gospel with others. That's trusting the Lord. We must be willing to step out. We must be willing to trust God with our future. We must, we must trust God with the unknown. We must not compromise the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the foundation for the New Testament. Genesis chapters 1 through 11 are the foundation for the Bible. Don't compromise it. We can picture faith as a connection between the work of the Holy Spirit and the power at work in our new nature. The Holy Spirit giving us power. Faith is a wire that conducts a current called grace that flows from the Spirit so that the new nature receives power. A blind girl one day was caught in a fire on the 10th floor of a building. She could make her way to a window, but she couldn't see anything. She felt the heat. She smelled the smoke of the fire. Then she heard a fireman yell, jump, jump. She said, I'm scared. I can't jump. She's on the 10th story of the floor, and she's supposed to jump, and she's blind. I'd have trouble jumping being able to see. She said, I can't jump. I can't see. The fireman said, if you don't jump, you're going to die. Take the risk and jump. Eventually, in the midst of the chaos and confusion, she heard another voice. Darling, jump. I've got you. She smiled and said, okay, daddy. I'll jump. She heard her dad's voice. She could trust her dad. Once her dad spoke up, she could jump. Jesus Christ is inviting us to jump, to jump in faith, to trust him. He knows we're nervous, but just jump. He knows you're scared, but just jump. Remember, we are talking about our daddy. We're talking about somebody you know. You've seen what he can do. He's our savior. Let me pray. Lord God, as we get ready to go to communion and prepare our hearts for communion, as we wrap up this message in this series, Help us to hold true to the whole Bible. Every word of your word is meaningful. And may we trust you. Encourage us and strengthen us trusting you. Some here may have strayed and need to rededicate their life to you. I pray that you would convict them by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they would turn back to you today. They would say, Lord God, I've strayed from you. I've been a fan of you, not a follower. And they would commit their life back to you and say, Lord Jesus, I'm rededicating my life to you. Please come to my life. Help me to live with you. There may be others here never committed to you before at all. May today be the day where they confess they're a sinner in need of a savior, believe in you as a one and only savior, trust in you and commit to you. The commitment and the trust is the hardest, but you're our daddy in heaven. Help us trusting in you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I invite Steve for the communion song, and we'll take communion after this. You can remain.